We live in an age of political polarization and preference bubbles, of economic change, rising threats, and a rapidly changing world. Canada needs to stay relevant. We need more smart conversations. We need to dive into critical issues and big ideas with passion and unrestrained optimism. I'm Aaron O'Toole. Welcome to the Blue Skies Podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing mental health. We're going to be having some difficult discussions about medical assistance in dying and assisted suicide. If you are struggling, please reach out to someone. There's also a toll-free line that you can call to make sure you get the support you need. 1-833-456-4566. Welcome to the Blue Skies podcast. I've got a friend here on the program today, a fellow podcaster. So this will be kind of a veteran podcast cross promotion special (laughs) here on Blue Skies. But I've got a veterans advocate, a great Canadian, Mark Meinke, who served in the Canadian Armed Forces with the proud Princess Patricia's Canadian Life Infantry. He served across Canada and overseas for Canada in Croatia. And then he's a veteran that has been a mental health advocate from his own journey. And he's also the host of Operation Tango Romeo. Tango Romeo being the the, uh, phonetic alphabet we learn in the military, but it stands for trauma recovery in this situation. So Operation Tango Recovery is mobilizing our efforts to talk about mental health, mental wellness for members of the military, veterans, and their families. And Mark always makes it clear that it's about not just the vet or the service member themselves, but their family. Welcome to the Blue Skies, Mark. Thanks for having me, brother. I appreciate it. Well, listen, I appreciate what you do. And this is part of our ongoing discussion about the implications of the coming deadline in March of 2023, March 17th, when mental health conditions or mental health injuries will be open for an option of medical assistance in dying. It's a very uh, shaky ethical framework right now. Not a lot of people are know it's happening. And I think really discussing this in the context of the veteran community is, is very important. But before we dive into that, Mark, um, your podcast, Operation Tango Romeo, is something I've appeared on. You've had lots of great veterans, lots of advocates, mental health pioneers. You've had a few politicians. Talk about your podcast and what you try and accomplish with it and what it helps do for you as a veteran who has been on his own mental health journey since hanging up the uniform. Um, a great two-part questionnaire, and I appreciate that a lot. So the mission is to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible. Because right now they're not. Uh, People, if they finally get the courage to put up their hand, they reach out to whatever the first line of defense is for them. For me, it was the Royal Canadian Legion. And they got the ball rolling. So for others, maybe they're going to try to call back uh, or talk to a friend. But they don't know what to do then. You know, it's like we're a bunch of uh, kids teaching each other about sex education at the age of 12. It's like, well, I don't know. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. But uh, it's the blind leading the blind. So what the show does is try to stand in the gap. Um, as uh, you know, when I first reached out for help, it took 10 months before I got an actual therapist. So in between, Operation Tango Romeo is there when you need it, at the pace that you're willing to accept it. And 
the stories that I get of how it's actually accomplishing that that mission, Aaron, it um, bogs me up a little bit. You know, uh, I've had people tell me that a friend strongly pushed and recommended my show. Then they listened to the first 10 episodes. And I had one veteran in particular tell me that he cried through the whole 10 episodes because he had the sudden realization of, oh my God, that's what it is. I didn't know what this was. And I thought I was alone. I thought I was crazy. Then they listened to the first 10 episodes and they realized, oh man, this is, uh, this is, this is normal as this is a normal injury. Mm -hmm. This is predictable. So making the journey as simple and as barrier free as possible is, is what I do and how I do that other than providing peer support. Cause when you hear somebody that you can connect to that is peer support, even through a podcast. Um, but all that is offered at veterans affairs at the OSI clinics via veterans affairs is one of two routes. Either you see a shrink that gives you some pills that might help you and they might kill you. Or you do talk therapy, which has an efficacy rate between 12 and 16%. So better than nothing. And I still don't discourage anybody from going to the OSI clinic. Like take the steps, walk the path, keep your feet moving, do something. But if 12 to 16% is just not um, what you're looking for, I am standing in the gap. Mm -hmm. And I'm going and finding uh, different modalities that claim 50, 80, even 100%, which I am very skeptical of. But these are the things that I'm finding and I'm bringing to the show. And of course, I'm using some of these modalities myself so that I can speak firsthand about them. Mm -hmm. And and that's what the show does. And it's not mission accomplished. It'll never be accomplished, but it's working. The, the mission and vision is working. You're creating a community, and I've seen that uh, from from what you've mm -hmm. done. And uh, you're right. What I've what I've found with with veterans is often they need to know what the options are because they're unlike with physical injuries, where you know loss of a limb or a serious physical injury generally has one, maybe two treatment options. With mental health, um, there could be a dozen. And the, the veteran is really not sure whether it's pharmacological, whether it's, as you said, the traditional uh, um, therapy, uh, talk therapy, whether it's a peer-related program, whole range of things. And you help bring together those options, let people talk about it, but let people relate. Uh, we're also going to be military guys that slip into uh, acronyms all the time. So when you said OSI clinic, that means Operational Stress Injury Clinic. And those were only stood up by the Canadian Armed Forces uh, in in the 90s. And so we, we've we been only in the last couple of decades even talking about men mental injuries uh, and mental health issues seriously. And your case, Mark, you went 23 years undiagnosed. Uh, so when you released, you had some struggles over a period of time. What finally made you pick up that thousand pound telephone um, you know, when did you finally reach out to help? Because that's that's over two decades. One of the challenges with PTSD is that although you are aware of your environment from a threat perspective, your self-awareness is the shits. 
<laughs> you, do, you, just, you just don't have any. You think everybody else is the problem. You couldn't think it could ever be you. It's every, why, why is everybody else causing me this consternation? <laughs> but um, so I had to chew up one marriage and I was in the beginning of my second marriage and we couldn't figure out why at the kitchen table, I just couldn't keep my poop in a group. I just couldn't keep my lid on at the kitchen table. We couldn't figure this out. So we tried all kinds of different uh, strategies between my wife and I to um, have it so that I wouldn't wreck dinner every single time because people were not eating in an orderly fashion. <laughs> and um, one of these days, my youngest son, he was just, I don't know, eight or nine and just the sweet, kind, gentle soul. And um, he takes his plate to the, to the dishwasher, his plate tips and all these crumbs hit the floor, and I hit the roof. The knife hand comes out, Dawson, what in the hell is wrong with you? And I watched him break, Aaron. I watched my kid break. And I couldn't stop myself. All of a sudden, I was aware that I was hurting my kid. I watched his face melt, uh, just drop. And I knew that this was me. I knew I was doing it. I knew I was hurting him. And even though I knew it, I couldn't stop the train. And then my wife came and put her hand on my shoulder and said, gently, Mark, they're just crumbs. We can clean them up. And then I knew all, all at once that I, uh, I needed help. I couldn't do it on my own because we've been trying. We've been trying to navigate this on our own and we couldn't. So... That was the night that I, I sucked it up like never before. And uh, I reached out to, um, it was a Friday, so they were already closed, but I reached out to the Royal Canadian Legion and um, Northwest Command in Calgary. Monday morning, they were Johnny on the spot. As soon as they got back to work, they're like, holy shit, here's this call. They called me and it was bing, bang, boom. I got myself up there and they said, yeah, dude, this is, this is PTSD. Like it's classic. I'm like, well, I don't know about that to be it. I was only a peacekeeper. Uh, you know, this is a long time ago. I don't think it was my service. And they're like, dude, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta accept this. Like this, this is what this is. This is all classic symptoms. And I explained to them that I had a very sketchy work history. I couldn't keep a job for the life of me. Um, my life was chaos and they're like, yeah, classic, all mm -hmm. classic. And the journey started, but it took me over two years, over two yeah. years from that day before I started to accept, okay, yeah, that is me. I am injured. It is for my service. It's for a really, really tough pill to swallow. Yeah. And that's also that same gap that I experienced I'm trying to fill that as best as I can with the show so that people can get to that conclusion a little bit quicker and a little bit easier. And when you first reached out to the Legion and thanks for talking about it and, and thanks for reaching out, you know, I think that first step is, is the hardest always. Um, this was the mid nineties and, and you're in Southern Alberta uh, and the Legion um, at that time. No, no, this province. is, this, this is, uh, cause it was 23 years that I went undiagnosed, right? So it was 2017 when I finally reached out. Oh, it was 2017. That's right. Yeah. So by then, the Legion then got you their uh, veteran service officer who plugged you into VAC. 
Um, yes. Is that how that worked? And then it was 10 months until you f- had your first meeting with a professional. Yes. Uh, I mean, I was still attending the clinic. They had uh, the stabilizations uh, series is what it's called. It's this 10 week program that nobody likes. <laughs> and uh, it's mostly the delivery. Uh, I mean, it's really a slideshow. But uh, they have a kumbaya, soft-spoken beta male that's that's taking you through these slides. And it's just wrong. You know, like, no, put one of us that's already been, been through or on the other side. Get a veteran that's doing it so that it lands, you know. And they know where to back off and, and where to go ahead and how to warm you up to the next slide that's coming up. Like when they're talking about personal hygiene. You know, because uh, extreme depression can mean that you're not showering, you're not looking after yourself, you're not brushing your teeth. So when that slide comes up and without any warning, you're like, F you, you know, that's not me and, um, and, and things like that. So there's, it's just got to be presented better. Like I'm not mm-hmm. opposed to the idea of the stabilization series. It's, but it's all they have is a bloody slideshow to fill the gap. That's mm-hmm. what they have. You, mm-hmm. Once a week, you show up and you do the next part of the ten-part slideshow, and uh, there, there's got to be a better way. And that's also where uh, where the show comes where in. Where the show came from, and you've focused. Um, I I first came across your show, Operation Tango Romeo. Another plug. There you go. Uh, Thanks, was uh, when Christian Lillington, a friend of mine, was mm-hmm. on it, and we of course had Christian speak at the Sam Sharp Mental Health Breakfast this this last May. Um, you've had programs like the Veterans Transition Network and COPE and a number of great programs that have worked for couples, worked for, for many vets, giving people a sense of what options are out there. When you plugged in through the Legion, got a case uh, you know, established at VAC, um, how long was it until you got, got your benefits uh, in terms of from Veterans Affairs and how many treatment options have you tried? Have you participated in the Veterans Transition Network or, or programs like that or Camp Praxis or, or some of the uh, uh, good stuff out there? Give us a sense of that timeline until you got benefits and what options you've been able to explore. Well, the benefits were never presented to me. I didn't know that they were even available for two years. And it was only through talking with others uh, that I realized that, um, uh, that there was money involved. I had no idea. And, and then which programs, you know, um, that was not explained to me by the caseworker. It wasn't explained to me by anybody. And there was certainly no booklet, um, saying, Hey, uh, as of this date, this is, this is what we got. This is what uh, is available to you. And if there was a booklet, uh, you know, then to update it every six months, cause Things are changing all the time. They change the name of programs or they shuffle them around. So it's the blind leading the blind. And if it wasn't for our peer support groups, I would have had no idea. And um, so, yeah, it took years before I actually received anything monetarily that would help me out. And, And or even understand the programs that were available. It it took years. And it's only because I'm a prominent member of the veteran community that I have so many relationships and so many conversations that I was able to sort of piece it together myself. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm sure the the information's all there on the VAC website, Veterans Affairs Canada website. But good luck finding it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, it's a labyrinth. 
Yeah, and your peer support. So other vets, uh, you know, helped you plug into systems. Uh, have you have you been able to try anything like Campraxis or the VTN program or any of those uh, specific programs with uh, for for veterans with operational stress injuries? Uh, some of them I have. I've uh, I've had VTN on the show. Uh, Campraxis is, hasn't returned any of my messages. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, same as the Legion. I can't get the Legion on the show. Um, it just makes no sense to me. But uh, I, I've done equine therapy with, through Jessica Vanderhoek, which was really, really something. Um, other than that, I, I've pretty much stayed in the program and I've done a little bit of, of uh, just recent act, recently, actually, some woo-woo stuff that uh, that I quite embrace. My good friend, Theo Fleury, um, recommended uh, a lady to me that does some off-script uh, therapy, but it really, really worked for me. So I'm, I'm still waiting for to see how that settles, but I've already referred a couple of veterans uh, to, to her as well. But I basically, I followed the system, Eric. You know, I, I figured the system it's science-based and they know what they're doing. Um, it wasn't until after three, four or five years of conventional therapy through the conventional clinics that I realized that the efficacy is 12 to 15%. And the particular therapist that I had that was provided to me through the system actually did more harm than good. Uh, she injured me worse because she did it wrong. So I had to relive the, um, uh, the most horrific moments of my military career, like my tripwire story. I'm the only guy I know that hit a tripwire and survived. So I, the moment of the tripwire hitting my shin, uh, this fraction of a second, I spent all told about 18 hours in that moment. Hmm. And um, that's not how you're supposed to do it. (laughs) She was doing it wrong. So then I had all these new symptoms of anxiety and depression and everything else. And, uh, yeah. Also, again, there had to be a better way, which is uh, part of, but I'm grateful for all of it though. Uh, even uh, July of, uh, not uh, July of uh, 22, but July of 21, unfortunately, a chain of heavy duty events uh, all piled on at once. And all the tools that I've developed, uh, that I've acquired, that I have at my disposal didn't work. And I had a, um, well, I'll call it a psychotic break. I broke with reality and I attempted suicide. Uh, drove out to the mountains away from cell service, away from everybody. And uh, without the intention, I, just, I was just trying to ground. I knew that I was in a total flap and I was well past the edge. And uh, as I was sitting there in the in that field in the mountains all by myself, nobody had uh, any clue where I was. I attempted to open up my left wrist. And it wasn't until I was unable to do it. <laughs> uh, the, the, the knife wouldn't work because I was using the same knife uh, to cut up um, a cardboard uh, earlier that day. I cut up a whole lot of card- cardboard. And, um, and I tried. Like I, I was going for it, but I think something else was involved. I, I really believe there's something spiritual involved there that was protecting me. And you hear stories like this. Um, a friend that I met, he uh, once tied a, uh, he just kind of had that same moment and he walked out into the woods with, uh, with a rope, tied one end to a, climbed a tree, tied one end into the branch and he jumped and the branch broke. So I think that 
when attempts like that, his and mine occur, I think that somewhere in the background, your, your brain is protecting you and is like, okay, you can go through the motions, but I'm not going to let you do it. So like, he doesn't think that like, there was no conscious, um, there's no conscious choice to choose a branch that would break, but I think his brain picked the branch mm. that would break mm. without realizing that's what he was doing. And I think that was the case with me. I think somehow there were protections in place that I wasn't aware of running in the background that kept me from actually opening that wrist. And it wasn't until a couple hours later that I realized what I'd actually just done, that it was an actual attempt. Mm. Um, but well, thank, thank, thank goodness. Um, you're here to tell us about that and to help others and to give people options by exploring um, treatment programs and, and advancements on Operation Tango Romeo. And in many ways, speaking to Dr. Uh, Marr just before you on mental health, a lot of people, particularly veterans, need to find that purpose uh, to get well. And purpose which leads to hope which leads to you know joy and happiness in some cases the podcast helping other veterans really has become part of your treatment part of that pur purpose that allows you to give back to the wider community so thank you for it um and thank you for being honest and, and raw here i think if we don't have difficult conversations they get tucked away and and people uh people lose hope or they can't relate one of my mantras, um, and, and the reason that I shared that particular story, I, I didn't intend to, it just kind of fell into that, is one of the mantras that I live by is recover out loud. An example of that, uh, Aaron, is my testimony in Ottawa about the MAID program. Because somebody saw that testimony in Ottawa, that person came forward to me and feeling just ill that they had... Um, been sitting on it for nine months or a year well let's a year at that point. before we get into that mark because i want to i want to segue into that so you you're an expert podcaster you're segueing before i even segue um <laughs> but we've known each other a while now um and i've been on your podcast but on october 24th you appeared at the veterans affairs committee uh in their examination of made and uh, assisted dying uh, in the veteran community because a veteran had approached you telling you about their uh, their situation where calling a veterans affairs assistance line with a mental health condition they were asked to consider made by the person on the line that's why you were called to ottawa as, as part of this examination just tell us about that and did that come to you because of your advocacy with the podcast yes it was um he had reached out to me months prior just to sort of connect but uh then out of the blue i get this audio file and i didn't listen to it right away and then the next day he's pushing me hey did you listen to that audio yet i'm like oh okay i'll make the time and I couldn't believe what I heard. Um, the audio file was a call that he recorded of an apology 
from Veterans Affairs Canada to him about offering made. So anybody that's still thinking, well, you know, maybe this is a misunderstanding. I have heard the audio files and I wish to God he'd give me permission to release them, but he's not. He's not even very happy with me right now because of my testimony in, in Ottawa. He didn't want me to do that. Um, which he told me after the fact, by the way, <laughs> he didn't tell me that before the fact. But but, but he recorded uh, he recorded it, and he knew that for someone in a vulnerable position, uh, you know, somebody with a mental injury or mental health condition is calling an assistance line for a reason, right? They're not just uh, calling to have a chit chat. They're in a vulnerable state, and at one point, the agent had asked the veteran to consider medical assistance in dying, he knew that was wrong. So I don't want to get into, you know, uh, the veteran community can sometimes <laughs> be our worst enemy to one another, but yeah, he knew uh, that was wrong. And I, I actually think it was important for you to raise it because right now it's illegal for someone with a mental health condition to be given made by the state. But in March of 2023, Canadians will be able to access MAID with only a mental health condition as the underlying uh, ailment or, or disease. Um, that's one case. But since your testimony in October at the VAC committee, several others have been flagged to your attention with various different caseworkers. So this wasn't one isolated case as the Veterans Affairs Minister tried to explain, right? Correct. And not only is it not one isolated case, so uh, Paul Ledwell first testified that, okay, this is only one person and it's one caseworker and our investigation has concluded that this is the fact. And when he was grilled on the wall, it's you haven't finished the investigation. How can you possibly have that conclusion when you're not done the, investi the, the investigation? Well, we have. And then that changed um, when the third meeting of the standing committee uh, was about to happen. The night before, another veteran came to me and, of course, still doesn't want to come forward, doesn't want to have their name known. So I pitched the idea, why don't we just record this phone call we're having right now and I'll publish it and I'll send it to all the appropriate parties. He's like, okay, damn it, let's do it. So we did. And he had a 10-minute um, testimony, basically, where I duplicated all the questions that I could recall off the top of my head that were asked of me at the committee. Then I sent it to various members of the committee <laughs> and the press and uh, let that cat out of the bag. Well, wouldn't you know it, uh, magically, after I did, I did that, uh, <laughs> the, the minister, um, Lawrence McCauley, gets out and goes, oh, uh, guess what, everybody? Uh, we, we found a few more cases. <laughs> so now I think the county put it four or five, not including the fellow Bruce that came forward on my show. So you'll have to add one for Bruce. But, uh, oh, yeah, so we found some more. But, but, but it's only one person. Only one caseworker was doing this. So yes, it's happened multiple times to multiple veterans, but now it's only one caseworker. So they're still trying to minimize it. Well, I have, um, unfortunately, Aaron, I got somebody else that I'm working on right now that will provide proof it wasn't just one caseworker. Mm -hmm. So if there was, and I was hoping, I was hoping it was one rogue caseworker. I had my fingers and toes crossed for that one. That was just some lunatic, but um, that should go to jail. 
by the way, <laughs> because like you said, that's a criminal act to counsel uh, assisted suicide. Uh, but there's another one that I'm working on right now that hopefully I can get to bring forward that um, because of the details of this person's story, uh, it is absolute proof that there are at least two caseworkers. And if there's two, it's yeah. not much of a stretch that it was policy. Yeah. Well, and, that- and, and let me say that when you first alerted me to this uh, and the first case came to light, I had a constituent who who told us that when she was dealing with another government assistance line, this this one related to uh, Canadian pension plan disability, in a difficult conversation she had, given her medical condition, this chronic condition she has now, um, she said, told me that the agent had recommended made to her. And what is, I know that sometimes caseworkers and these lines can get overwhelmed. I know it's hard and you've seen it firsthand um, sometimes talking someone through a mental health episode. But the risk here is with MAID being accessible to people with, with treatable mental health conditions, not being able to get access to treatment could lead the state to refer people to something rather than getting them the help they need. So I, I think we should not be uh, bringing this in next March. I think we should have a a pause and we should really revisit made for those situations. Um, what are your thoughts on the wider issue? Because even your case, like you, you came forward in 2017, as you said, it took you several years to access benefits, to access programs. You talked about your own difficult circumstance with your first therapist. And many of these mental health journeys have several steps forward, one or two back. Um, should we be in this environment where there's not enough treatment options for for veterans with mental injuries, should we even have uh, a made option? Uh, because I think a lot of veterans will find that at their lowest point, they would be very vulnerable to someone recommending that. Made should absolutely not be available for mental health issues. It should only be available for what it was originally designed, which is... Um, incurable pain or or uh, to speedy up a impending death yeah. so if you're if you have a terminal illness and there's no way out of it and nobody can fix it sure you know why why suffer and if you have pain that nobody can treat sure now for mental pain the thing is it is treatable but it's access to it's access to these treatments that is the issue so your idea, actually, uh, when, when we spoke on my show of having a, a health passport and then now uh, Daniel Smith is, is pushing the same thing. I'm like, uh, yeah, it's pretty simple. You know, like what, who is the government to tell me what I should and should not try for my for my mental health? You know, like get, get out of my kitchen. You know, let 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 me uh, cook it up myself. Just give me the credit card, and if it's uh, health related, get out of my damned way, and uh, give me a credit card that I can only use for health related things. Let's say I want to try the float tank, the the isolation thing. I've always wanted to try it, but I've never wanted to part with the eighty dollars. So let me try it. You know, and if I like it, great. And 
just provide that. And I'm actually going to be proposing to Daniel Smith when she's on my show that uh, why don't, you know, since healthcare is provincial anyway, why don't, why doesn't the province stand in the gap, provide this for uh, veterans and first responders, this mental health uh, passport to try things like float therapy or equine therapy or anything else without asking anybody's permission. And then the province back bills back and uh, of which some you'll get and some you don't, but just take the administrative yeah. burden off the, off the veteran. Why, yeah. why do I have to prove um, that I want to try this or why do I have to prove the efficacy of things? Get out of my way. Yeah. Just let me go try it. Well, another cross promotion, people can listen to my appearance on Operation Tango Romeo, where we discuss an idea that I pitched and, and really came to me when I was Veterans Affairs, which is the, the mental wellness passport. And what it did was, as you said, once a veteran is, is diagnosed as having an operational stress injury, we know that they will need a variety of treatment options. I think then the, the government provider, and in this case, mm. it should be VAC, should be federal, because you served in the Canadian Armed Forces and were injured. Uh, VAC can approve providers. So when I was minister, we we rolled out an equine therapy pilot. We we approved service service dogs. We had veterans transition networks. So there's a there's a constellation of positive. And once we verify that there's a net benefit to the veteran, the veteran should really be in the driver's seat on hey, my circumstances right now, uh, my wife and I would like to try the COPE uh, Couples Overcoming PTSD Every Day, a good program like that. And then they can self-direct wellness. My real worry with what you've helped uh, expose in terms of the slippery slope with MAID is right now, you can't even access medical assistance in dying for just a mental health condition as chronic and as heart-wrenching as they can be, it's not accessible, yet some agents, some caseworkers are already referring it. What will it be like next spring once it's actually in place if if we don't have a prohibition on this um, and we don't start putting some serious resources into actually medical treatment as opposed to sending everyone off the off-ramp of, of MAID? It's going to be carnage. Uh, and that supposed barrier doesn't actually exist because uh, I had Nicole Scheidel on the show and she's an expert on all this. Um, and Nicole was telling me about a person on Vancouver Island, 24-year-old man, and his physical malady is that he's missing an eye. He's missing an eye. He's got some depression. He's dead. Maid killed him on September 24th of this year. Because he's missing an eye and he's suffering from depression. Depression is a temporary situation. Death is pretty damn permanent. Mm -hmm. So offering a permanent solution for a temporary situation is absolutely disgusting. And it has to end. So somebody, and it's predatory. Like, why not offer this guy help? But no, no, we'll just kill him. And they did. He's dead. He's dead because he's missing an eye and he's suffering from depression. And that's not right. Well, listen, even your own experience, um, you know, shows right now supports are slow to access. There's wait lists. We don't have enough mental health professionals around the country. Our geography sometimes makes it hard for 
someone to get a mental health support or access a treatment program, what we should be doing is using what resources there are, what political time we can muster here in Ottawa to fill the gaps in terms of treatment, to get wait lists down, not to create an option that, as you said, is permanent for something that could be a, a treatable condition that would not be permanent. And I, I do remember from my time at Veterans Affairs when we were reforming and rolling out new supports for uh, for veterans with serious injuries, for caregivers, we were expanding and modernizing Veterans Affairs. About 90% of the complex cases managed by VAC are mental health injuries. Yeah. So the vast majority of our injured are injured with the invisible wounds of service. So if we suddenly create a situation where caseworkers, um, you know, some hospitals or or programs for the homeless, it, if they start referring these vulnerable Canadians into the MAID regime as opposed to, you know, getting more supports, we're, we're really failing our, our injured. And uh, something I, as simple, Aaron, as uh, like with the health passport, have that accessible to gym memberships. You know, like no veteran who's uh, uh, has a VAC claim should ever pay for a gym membership. It's the physiology of the endorphins and whatnot from lifting weights, but it's more, it's the community. PTSD is an injury of isolation. It's the isolation that causes the pain. Get somebody out of the damned house, which is why I don't know how many people uh, died because of the COVID lockdowns, but I bet you it's a lot because uh, it, isolation, breaking of community, not having these groups, that's the pain, Aaron. Mm -hmm. that's that's the loneliness and that's the desperation so get out of the damned house pick a group i'm an arm wrestler now i'm a competitive arm wrestler I get together at the club twice a week and it's not just me as the injured veteran that benefits from it everybody that shows up at that club freaking loves it because of that sense of camaraderie that sense of connection and community so i mean no veteran with uh with an injury claim should ever pay for a gym membership because that those gyms, uh, it's just one more sense of community where you're supporting each other and is, and it's positive and it's healthy. That's what the Legion should be doing is, is trans, um, transforming themselves from a whole bunch of pubs where you're throwing gas on the fire of mental health. Uh, say, hey, here's some booze because that works. You know, uh, here's some cheap booze to help you with that alcoholism. You know, how about turn them into health clubs? Turn them into um, into nice community health clubs like yeah. YMCA. Well, listen, you did an, uh, a couple of episodes on reforming the Legion, and I've pushed the Legion to reform. And the good thing is young Afghan veterans did stand up the, the mental health uh, OSI subgroup of the Legion. And the Legion is modernizing, but I agree with you. Um, we need to rise to meet the modern need. And historically, for centuries, going back with the rum ration and everything else people dealt with people <laughs> dealt with trauma by just by by just numbing it with yeah. with alcohol and addiction and and reliance on substance is really just masking an underlying health condition so listen what you're doing mark uh recover out loud as you said one of your maxims uh that you say on the podcast i think you're helping bring this issue 
to public awareness because parliamentarians have a chance to fix this before March 17th, 2023. I think we've already seen that this slippery slope will lead caseworkers and people meant to help people with mental injuries and mental illness. Uh, unfortunately, will lead to more people being referred into a treatment option that is really not treatment. It is assisted suicide when we should be building up resources. Your advocacy helps give us time to fix this and to put more resources in to help. So keep doing what you're doing and hope, purpose and community is critical in the, in the yes, journey sir. to wellness to all veterans. So. Bravo, Zulu, for what you're doing. Um, keep raising these cases. Any final thoughts uh, for Canadians that are just becoming kind of aware of this, this looming deadline in terms of MADE? To be courageous enough to share episodes like what you're listening to right now. Share this one. Because by doing that, you're... And people are hesitant to, to share my episode, even though it's in the top 5%, I just found out today, of all uh, worldwide. People share mine uh, more than 95% of other shows. So yay. But that's so important. You got to share, share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring. Um, but every time you share, you are taking the stigma away because it's the stigma is the biggest barrier to entry. It's the shame. Shame and stigma are interchangeable words. So help get rid of the shame. Help get rid of the stigma by sharing this episode today and by tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo and sharing those episodes when they pop up. Every time you do it, you're saying it's okay to talk about mental health. It is okay. It is all right. There is no shame in this. And that's why I am as transparent as I am. And that's why I showed, I told you the, the story that I did today. Because uh, if I don't, um, I'm doing the audience a disservice. And it's called lending courage. When you are strong enough to share your story, recover out loud and share your story, you are lending your courage to other people. And well, you're giving them the courage to share their story and to heal. Well said. You're lending courage by your discussion today. You recover out loud, reach out, talk to a buddy, send up the count. Um, you're not alone. Uh, mental health injury, mental health conditions are part of life. And so make sure you get the help and plug into the networks and communities that will offer that. Um, that's what this conversation was meant to do. And I think it's done that. And for the wider debate that politicians and health professionals will have to have is we now have only a few more months to make the changes needed to make sure that the vulnerable um, aren't encouraged or referred into uh, an option in terms of made when they actually could be plugged into treatment to make them well, to make them that great comrade, that great mom, dad, brother, sister. Uh, we need to make sure we help. So you're doing that every day. I recommend people to check out Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for uh, military veterans, uh, first responders and their families. Bravo Zulu, Mark Meinke. Thank you for what you're doing. Be well, my friend. Thanks, brother.